0: Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. All right, welcome to episode two, Growing Up Fire. Today I got Ryan Coots with me and we're going to talk about his childhood being from a fire household. Thanks for coming today, Ryan.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having me.
0: Just kind of wanted to start off and kind of walk the folks through what it's like to uh, grow up in a firehouse. Growing up fire is all about learning things as we go. It doesn't matter if you start being a firefighter when you're 40 or start when you're born, I guess, like you. So I just wanted to go through some of that stuff and see how it goes. So what's your first memory of being in a fire family? I think uh, probably just being around
1: the firehouse all the time when I was super, super young, every single day uh, i could see it with my son now drive by the fire hall and ask to stop all the time and love sitting in the fire trucks and there was never just a time where you could stop and hang out it was always jumping around through the trucks and playing with hoses or whatever right uh, trying to get your hands on as much as you could fire prevention weeks were definitely a big one for me that i can always remember we're lucky enough to have the smoke back then and I feel like I was probably one of the youngest kids to ever endure that. There's all the older kids walking through and on fire prevention weeks, I remember we'd have it all smoked out and you could follow the rope around. And that
0: was probably a really early memory for me. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I I mean, uh, you brought up your son, Casen, my grandson, obviously. And so now it's more like a training session for him. I actually know what we're doing with you. We were just winging it. We're just down there having some fun. Sundays were water fight day and and, uh, clean the trucks and, and kind of, you just lived there with me. But then it kind of got cool. In 2001, we moved to Vermilion, Alberta, and I went to work for the Alberta Fire Training School. And so I know that for me, I have great memories of being there and doing that stuff, but what do you remember of those times? You were, I think, five years old, maybe? Yeah, I think just starting kindergarten
1: when we moved there. Yeah, I think my biggest memory was definitely some of the cool stuff that we got to see there. They had a dollhouse that I played with little firefighters all the time. It was kind of like a mock-up for scenarios and stuff that the guys could go through tabletop. And then I think probably the biggest one that I always remember and is always at the front of my mind, just because my mom always talked about it so much was coming home from school and immediately asking to go and sit on the hill and, and watch all the fire it was the fire training school it was just kind of right outside of town and there was a hill by our house and you could sit there and watch the, the balls of flame shoot up in the start of every single run. So I think there's probably days that I could just sit there for hours and hours and watch that over and over again.
0: It was funny because that was kind of your and mom's thing. Like, I I didn't really know about it and and never spent any time looking for you guys or waving or any of that stuff. She would say, oh, you know, this happened or that happened at the Alberta Fire Training School when you got home. And I'd be like, wow, how did you guys know that, right? So kind of cool for me. I, I laugh, I often think of that little house, so it was a complete mock-up of our training tower and uh, it was just up on a shelf and and you spotted it, <laughs> beyond all reason, there it is up on a shelf and got it down for you and you brought all your little fire trucks and all your little men over and that was a fun weekend, we just kind of raged with that thing all weekend, doing little training scenarios, I often thought I should have just took you out to the students there and let you run a few <laughs> scenarios, few drills after that, so... No, it was fun. We got to drive. I think that was the first ARF truck we got to ride in. Uh, Corey Whitlock took us out for a rip on that. I got to go to the remote site and see them really light up some of those aircraft props and, and things like that. So just things that we didn't get to do. They had the Ocean Ranger prop, the big uh, drilling rig prop there. So we'd get to, you'd make me walk all the way to the top. You, just a little guy there, me carrying you halfway and all the way to the top so we could look out over the land and see what was going on. So... I don't know, I think that was pretty good times, pretty fun times.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the, the biggest amount of fire, I think, most little kids get to see, so definitely uh, got a piece
0: of me hooked, even more so there, I think. I'll link a picture with this, but there's a pretty famous picture in our family of you dressed in your little fire bunker coat. We had a, a mock-up of a bunker coat done from a manufacturer, and there's Ryan, helmet, bunker gear, and a little hose dummy took one of the little baby hose dummies and he's pumping the CPR uh, compressions and breaths. And then he would run over and grab a hose and spray the fire and then come over and work on the mannequin again. And and so I don't know if you actually even remember that or definitely there's, there's lots
1: of pictures. The red coat is awesome. It's still, again, something that my son now wears around the house and um, it's definitely a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I remember doing a ton of laps and was at that perfect age where I don't think the off button was really fully developed yet, so... Just up and down the tower and running around with hose, the little green gator we'd rip around and pack all of our stuff up and head in. And then it'd be like, oh, well, let's go over there for and look what's over there, right? And there's always always trying to stay
0: a little bit longer.
1: So it was definitely a great experience.
0: I forgot about the gator, eh? That was uh, that was like our little baby fire truck. We could do anything we wanted, go anywhere <laughs> we wanted. So no, that's cool. So then um, we were only there for a year, moved back to Slave Lake and kind of back to the fire hall. So now you're kind of that six to 10, we're, we're going along still so Sunday, fun day for us at the fire hall all the time. You're really actually being trained now. You're, you gotta clean the truck, you gotta clean the floor. You gotta, you probably didn't remember or know that you were being trained, but you're actually starting to move towards that. This is how things are gonna be.
1: Yeah, I think honestly it was just by that point, it was so much of like everyday life. It didn't really surprise you when the pager went off. It got to a point when the pager went off. It it was cool, and you're running to the front door to watch the fire truck leave. And there's always a fire truck at home, right? Came back, and you were the deputy chief, and then later on the fire chief. There's just always a truck around, always a part of the life. Kind of got to a point where later on you just stop down there and do your homework or hang out or whatever. Yeah, I think by that point it just became so much of what. Uh, my life was about and our life as a family was about and there's so many great memories and stuff there and went through big changes on that fire hall expansions new trucks right and it just kind of feels like all those milestones funny enough are like family milestones almost because it was so engraved in our family yeah i think uh Lots and lots of great memories for sure.
0: For me, as I look back on 30 years, I I always think of like growing up fire and how how big it is and how more it's it's so much more than just being a little kid and growing up like in our house, 90% of the people that came over were fire department they were friends of the fire department or because of the fire department or police officers or some kind of first responders. We had our regular friends kind of outside of that. And as you got into sports, we had those friends. But if the doorbell was going to ring, there was a 90% chance it was something to do with the fire department or something to do with uh, somebody from the fire department. And so, you know, you talk about the pager going off, just so used to that for so many years that took it for granted that you guys were, were there and you were just part of it. Right. So for me, then you started hockey early too. So you kind of had two loves there. You had the fire department, what we're doing and hockey. So bring some correlation to that, I guess. What did hockey give to the fire department for you? And what did the fire department give to your hockey career?
1: I think at the end of the day, it's very much about being part of a team. I think growing up in the fire service and around the fire service, there wasn't much of a A chance of not being a team player and not having that team-orientated attitude. Good, bad, ugly. Seen lots of it in hockey and firefighting so far. At the end of the day, you just got to be there for your brothers and sisters. And we saw that all the way through hockey. And when I finally wrapped my head around not going to the NHL, I knew that I was going to have to pick another path. And firefighting was right there all the way along as well. And it was kind of something that just slid into place and you got the exact same team aspect and all the same tendencies that a hockey team had as the fire service does. Right. And right from everyone being part of a team and working together for a common goal, very much the same thing on both those fronts. One thing that I really like about the fire service and I liked about hockey was there was one leader, one guy that you look to all the time. And it's the same for us, right? I look at a lot of different professions and there's some back and forth and some Right. We get on the fire truck and whoever's riding in the officer seat that day, it's that's that's who's making the calls. That's who's calling the shots. And there's absolutely those times where everyone talks together and comes up with a a better game plan. And it was very much like that in hockey. And we were very lucky to have a lot of very good coaches along the way. And we had a lot of really good teams that kind of let us do the same thing. Right. You know, final play of the game. Okay, What are you guys going to do? Right? It wasn't necessarily, oh, well, I'm the 40-year-old coach that knows everything and this is what you're going to do. I was very much like they knew that we knew each other. And, you know, I can think back to some absolutely huge wins there and some last-second goals that won us some huge games. And I, I look at it now and in the fire service and it's the exact same thing, Right as a new officer it's you know i always look to people in the back and people around me to try and come up with with game plans and come up with what's best and you know i feel like if you do that that's what's going to make it so that you get those wins all the time so
0: Of course, you drug me along in your hockey career, right? Started coaching right when you were small. And it was funny because, of course, you're the fire guy, right? So the fire guy gets everything. And So unknown fact about me is I hate vomit and broken bones. Not the way that other people hate them, but like if I'm around vomit, I'll start to vomit and and broken bones, although the blood and guts and death I've seen, you can't even imagine, broken bones were always my worst. But here we are in hockey, right? And I can remember some of them, you know, remember when Lance uh, broke his wrist and he come in and there was a the broken collarbone from the swiss elite team and all of these and i had to deal with it it wasn't really there's not something that you could put on to somebody else in hockey it was fun to, to go and do that stuff uh, you weren't naming names obviously i was his best coach folks you don't have to ask <laughs> but uh, some classic dudes through there les price you know he's got to be in there brian node for all the good and bad was a was a guy that did some stuff for you you know, to me, I kind of look along and I think you had a lot of strong role models in the fire department. You had a lot of strong role models in hockey. I don't know if you ever really learned how to be coached, but uh, you tried, right? I mean, it's how it is until later on. So you get to be a teenager and then finally, Hey, you know what? I got to play. So I got to get along here. Right. And so really that's life and, and it's the fire department and it's the Right? You don't get to be the first guy on the nozzle every single time. You don't get to drive the truck or be the boss on the first day. And you got to work your way up. So, you know, that's kind of how hockey and fire intersected for you and, and for me. Right. We spent a lot, lot of great days at the rink together. We spent a lot of great days at the fire hall together. And then you turned 14 and decided that you're going to be a junior firefighter with the fire department. So walk through that. I think that
1: was kind of uh, I saw I had a lot of role models. Growing up in the years right before I was allowed to join, uh, 14 is our our age for junior firefighters. But I looked at guys like Andrew Mackay, who by that time was already a City of Red Deer firefighter, and guys like Alex Plurd, who were in the course and and then moved on and were firefighters at the time, right? And I got to kind of see those guys all the time and, and how they started out as juniors and moved their way up and, you know, in Andrew's case into a, a pretty cool role that I thought at the time, right? And so I think it was kind of like a countdown for me, X and off days on the calendar until I turned 14. Yeah, as soon as I turned 14, joined the junior program and we had some really great experiences. That was a year that Braden came and lived with us. He joined up too, and it was kind of, just another thing that we could hang out and do together. He obviously wasn't quite as passionate about the fire side of things, but it was just a fun time, right? We got to hang out, we got to rip cars apart and and fight fire, and who wouldn't want it and want to do all that, right? So it was just another time for us to hang out. Got to meet a lot of great people. We had people all the way that uh, were up to you know 18 years old, leaving for university right away. So it was really cool that way to kind of have the the different age groups and lots of different personalities. Again, another. Another group that taught me um, patience and that you didn't always get to be in charge and taking everyone's different opinions and ideas into account. So really started out there and loved it. We only did the one kind of, I think it was three or four months was the, the program in Slave Lake. So we did all that. And then Bruce Turnbull was uh, or is the captain in Widewater just down the road at the time. And um, me and Braden were like, Oh, well, we had another guy that was in with us that could drive at the time. So, uh, Cody Rossing. And we said, Well, maybe the three of us will join out in Widewater. And so we asked Bruce, and Bruce was like, Yeah, we'd be happy to have you. So we kind of were the first three to stay on as, as year round juniors. And Went out to wide water and got to do a lot of cool things out there too right learn a lot more about like the rural firefighting side we got thrown into a lot of really cool practices because there was uh definitely less members out there than there was in slave lake so you got to do some of those cool jobs we talked about right you don't always get to be on the nozzle you don't always get to all of a sudden we were Let's getting water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly all of a sudden we were getting to be on the nozzle and getting to do the cool jobs because there wasn't as many people right so I'm sure Bruce would have let us run the pump too but (laughs) so yeah it was an awesome experience and then yeah came back the next year when Slave Lake opened up again and and went back for my second year and had a really great time that year too there was a a whole new group of people and I think some of my friends kind of got the taste of it and, and wanted to try it out. I think we had a big group that year it was like 10 or 14 of us and yeah it was a really awesome turnout and
0: yeah, it start it so start out so strong, right? It was, you know, some of my favorite guys there, Todd and Andrew, and you know, guys that you talked about came through the program in those early years, and strong, strong characters. You brought up Turnbull, so he's sitting in there freaking out right now that we're going to tell the knife story, but we'll save that for another podcast. So you'll, you'll have to wait for that when we get to, <laughs> when we get Captain Turnbull on here. Everyone will get to hear the the knife uh, story with you and Braden there. Nobody died, (laughs) thankfully. But, you know, so it was. It was great. It was great because I got to send you guys out there and got rid of you one night a week. (laughs) It was great that you guys got to learn so much and and work with such a great role model, right? So, you know, we will get Captain Turnbull on here for sure. Uh, That guy's a beauty. One of the best in the the business. And so, you know, you go through the junior fire program and, and you're playing hockey at the same time, you guys. And all of a sudden you get to that point where... Okay, I I've got to take this to the next level, and so you moved on and you're you became a rap student, right? And so you're working with a mechanic at the uh, fire hall and kind of learning the the trade of being a mechanic while working at the fire hall. Any good times there?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was kind of I guess kind of right between this the first or sorry the second year as a junior was when the slave fire happened, and then after all that, you know, we kind of worked. I don't even think we got paid for it. We kind of just came in because it was fun. And after the fire, we're getting all kinds of new equipment. So it was like, it was literally the best, like two months of my life. You came in and you're in the fire service everyone loves the new shiny equipment and it was like Christmas every single day I swear I never woke up earlier I'd run down to the fire hall or get my mom to drive me and and we'd get there and there's another buddy Stephen who who came down with me most of the days too a captain Carlton that came down and and did a bunch of work because he was a teacher and like it was just every day we were just like three little kids we'd sit there and we'd have our box cutters and we'd be ripping into new boxes and I mean, I remember during the fire, right? Like we lost pretty much all our hose. We lost three trucks. I think by the time the whole thing was done, we lost a fire hall, right? Like everything that comes with that is just like constant new stuff coming in over and over and over again. Right. And we were like, like little kids basically. And I remember the first day of school when I had to go back in September and I was like, this sucks. I just, you know, I do not want to go back right now. And I guess it would have been the first day of grade 11. And yeah, I was just like, oh, come on, went back. And the first semester was kind of, I felt like I still was playing hockey, but after just spending so much time and going through the fire with everyone I felt like there was almost like a void in my life from from not being able to be at the fire hall every day and you know if I was it wasn't wasn't that I was in the way but there was a lot going on that year after the fire and there was a couple new positions that got brought in that year and it was you go in and everyone was kind of busy doing their thing so started looking into the rap program they just had hired you guys had just hired a a mechanic who was a heavy duty mechanic at the time and I heard about this really cool program that was uh, the Registered Apprenticeship Program. And I think the cat's kind of out of the bag now that my teachers and you and and everyone else kind of knows that I signed up for it mostly just so I could be at the fire hall every day and less for the the actual uh, mechanic side of it. But I did get to learn some really cool stuff every day I went there. I did get to work on the fire trucks and I, I did get to learn some really cool stuff
0: about mechanics. Well, it was so, you and Ronnie Potts learn you learn how to swear properly yeah. after all those years <laughs> not doing it right. You know, you learn how to rip stuff apart. I don't remember you ever putting anything back together, but I remember Ron telling me that he had to put your stuff back. <laughs> (laughs) together and so it's funny you bring up so many good stories I remember Christmas in July we used to call that after the fire when everything came and and our biggest day ever was 21 pallets you'd freak if there was one or two today right just like oh man that was so much work 21 pallets we got them all in the bay and we're all kind of looking at each other like we don't even know where to start here right and so I I think that was the day that you and Steven led a bit of a revolt there. You'd moved a certain amount of pallets around the fire hall like fifteen times. You kind of came to me and said, like, could you just start deciding where this stuff's gonna go? Like now we have 15 we're moving around juggling and we got 21 more. Basically to to get a ceasefire. I went and bought you guys a pallet jack. So (laughs) so you could actually do it easier. So it was fun. I mean all of that stuff. Those days were, you know, the chaos after the chaos, right?
1: I think there was a couple days there where we might even hit the pagers or definitely consider hitting the pagers just to try and come and get some help for cutting out boxes and stuff. And at the time, I mean, there was so many got so many of the guys who were current firefighters stopping by and right. Lunch break was always the funniest, right? You'd have like 25 guys show up on their lunch break and they'd all be like, oh, what's new today? Did I get anything new in my locker? <laughs> right. And it's just an exciting time for everyone. Right. So it's pretty cool.
0: No, for sure. That was good stuff. And the mechanic part was good. We needed the help. The academics part of school was never your favorite part. So got you some credits so you could still get through. And I like to think that still learned a lot of life things you're using today. on really took you under his wing there and, and did a bunch of work with you to make sure that you understood how things came apart. I wish you would have kept doing it long enough to remember how things come together. We talk about a 1974 in another podcast here maybe. But <laughs> so really that kind of leads us up. And you brought it up the fire. So, so let's talk a little bit about the fire. It's 2011 May dry. You know, a lot of people heard the story before it's kind of the slave lakes thing, right? Fire burns into town, burns down 40% of our town and, and region. There's just so many stories to tell. It'll be a separate podcast all by itself. But, like, let's hit a few highlights here today. So you're growing up fire. You, you've started from birth, basically. You've gone to all these things. you right up through the ranks, junior fire, you know, into the rap program, all these things. And, and this fire hits you're 15 years old, you're sitting in this massive fire hall. And uh, my favorite story to tell on you is when you came running up to me and you said, hey, like, it's just you and me left. If there's another call, we're first up and there's one truck left, you, me. I was just kind of making fun of you. And I was like, oh, get your stuff, put it by the fire truck and be ready make sure you got your helmet and your gloves. And sure enough, you trucked right out there into the bay, grabbed your stuff and you were all set to go. Well, I'll let you take it from there.
1: Yeah, I think honestly, the the first day we grew up in a place where there was fires almost every year, right? There was always the days where you'd see the smoke column or the days where you'd see, you know, 10 trucks go out and the fire department got there early enough with forestry and put it out and everyone didn't have to freak out. All these stories that, again, were just part of our everyday life. But there was definitely something different about that one, right? There's a massive column, kind of drifting right 10, 15 kilometers east of town. Before that one even actually blew up that specific day, it was just really, really windy. I remember the pager going off constantly. And my first kind of vivid memory of that is sitting at home with mom and we're sitting in the living room and it's like, holy man, you know, it's so windy out and it's just kind of going crazy right now. And her phone rings. And this kind of goes right into how much the fire family really is so connected, right? So her phone rings and it's Mitch Carrier, one of the firefighters for for a few years then. And another yeah, he's like, hey, Kirsten, you know, like the pager's gone off four times. I feel like I really need to go down there. But my wife's out of town and I have the kids at home right now. Actually, I think it was just his daughter at the time, probably. She's like, yeah, no worries. I'll come over right now. So she's going to leave me and I'm like, no way, like there's craziness going on outside right now. Like there's no way I'm staying in this house. I'd rather go babysit than stay in this <laughs> house right now. And so I kind of always found my way and kind of weaseled my way into to different places to try and again, get to the cool jobs. And for me back then, the cool jobs were not on the nozzle. The cool jobs were anything around the fire hall that somebody asked me to help them with. So we pull up and we park in Mitch's driveway. and he comes running out and he's like, here's the keys and the food and everything you need. And mom kind of takes it all. And I'm kind of standing in between them and, I was like, well, can I come with you? And she's like, you're not going with him. And I was like, come on, dad's down there. And did some schmoozing and convinced mom and Mitch. And Mitch is like, all right, just jump in. I got to go. So we ripped down to the fire hall. And of course, right there, like it was it was a true hectic day. There was fire trucks and crews out everywhere. Mitch came in as one of the, the last, uh, there was kind of like five or six guys that came in at the the end and they took out one of the last trucks and and went out uh, I think kind of over by the airport and I remember going to the office and talking to you and you're like finally got a second and there was a town map there and you're like yeah we got some stuff going on here and here and here and the guys were all taking care of it and the radio was going off and it was it was really cool right don't always get those super busy days but there definitely is those days and and then at a a point mom actually came down I think once Mitch's wife got home and that was when I came in and I was like hey you know we're the last ones and I put my gear out there and I also just got my license or my learners, which I thought was super cool. So you had told mom, you know, maybe go home and just grab a bag just in case anything happens. And I was like, oh, can I come with you? Like, I'll drive. And she's like, yeah, sure, you wanna drive, whatever. I think she actually liked it. I was like your little chauffeur for about a year there. <laughs> and then uh, I was just, I remember I just got in the truck and and you came out the front door. And I mean, I, I definitely had the hopes that it was actually gonna happen as bad as that sounds. But I knew that you kind of had a little bit of like, yeah, yeah, sure. And it was probably not gonna happen. And I remember you coming out and being like, let's go, it's me and you, we got another call. And I was just like, oh my God. And honestly, over the years, I've had to try to kind of dissect what that all felt like. For the first probably three years, it was like a a complete blackout. I couldn't even tell you the story. But yeah, we got in the oldest pumper that we had and we started rolling out and I will never forget rolling down highway two and I remember you driving and there was this massive black column and you were giving me the ride act about safety and what to do and trying to teach me how to be an actual firefighter in the five minutes it took us to get out there I couldn't even kind of tell you anything that you had actually said
0: (laughs) that entire drive Um, all those pearls (laughs) of wisdom I can't believe it you'd think that those things were like you're just all over it. yeah
1: we got out there and I remember I pulled the line and got everything good to go. And I remember standing right beside the fire and you were getting me water and and you looked over and you're like, what are you doing? You're standing right beside the fire. And I'm like, what's this guy doing? I never ran pump in my life. I have no (laughs) idea how long it takes to get water. And, and I'm just like, why is there not water coming out of this hose yet? Like, let's go finally got some water and I started spraying the trees and like I didn't even look around by this time the fire's so far gone like I I think you just gave me my two seconds of glory and let me put out a little bit of fire around me but other than that like it was it was I gotta be gone. honest. I don't think it was
0: two <laughs> seconds of glory. I think it took me two minutes to figure out that this one got us and it was it was over, right? I mean, there's always two sides to that. Of course, I thought I was keeping you safe and giving you the pearls of wisdom. I've heard you say to people that you just heard Charlie Brown's teacher wah wah wah, wah yeah. right? So it, it's all good. You know what I thought was like laser focus attention on every word I was saying was really you were staring right through me at the smoke column that was behind my head there I get that now whether I got water to the hose or not will go down in history as a too tough to call whether it was Ryan's fault or my fault or or how long it took no one was there except me and Ryan obviously I know more about it so I must be right but <laughs> that, that one will go down as a 50-50 split for the rest of the time <laughs> And then definitely from there, like we got split up in that, like maybe the next five minutes, we're split up. You went with Carl Hill and yeah, I and think Ron Potts uh, and I yeah. stayed. You know,
1: basically right from there, the deputy chief at the time, Todd, came in and he had a different crew that obviously rerouted from town because everyone could see this column. Yeah, I think it just was going so fast and so much wind that we decided to send. There was a couple of peace officers around. I don't even know. Who would have been at the time but they came out in a pickup truck and we said like we got to go start evacuating the other side right because there was houses probably a couple kilometers from where that fire was and then like heavy heavy winds that day right so yeah I jumped in with Ron Potts who later became my boss and Carl Hill one of the captains and we kind of rolled out there and Yeah. Very surreal for a 15 year old kid. You know, you're, it was probably very surreal for people that I would have talked to. Also, you're running from house to house. I felt like I was the the fastest, most agile person that day. And it was because we had those old, awful rubber boots and they were ripping people's feet apart and i was 15 and just didn't care and i was like i think they were using me as like their guinea pig and they're like yeah ryan you take that far one over there and i remember everyone else like limping and and joanne losing toenails and having these folks could see
0: your feet they would know i didn't hurt you (laughs) yeah exactly you already had
1: skate feet uh, there every time we pulled up i always got the far driveway but again at that time i was like yeah just loving every minute of it and i often think it would be kind of funny to talk to some of the people that i actually evacuated because some 15 year old kids running up and telling you to get out of your house right now. And, you know, some of those people hadn't even
0: seen the smoke yet, right? Like you could definitely look behind you and see it. And so you're definitely going to be back. We're going to be talking some more about the wildfire (laughs) in 2011. We're going to talk today all the way up to to Fort Mac. I mean, we could sit here with Patrick and a few other people and just talk about evacuations. Yeah. Right. I mean, we could talk about that for hours and, and the looks on people's face and what people take, right. Some of the, the real gems that we got to see. So, so we'll talk about that some more. You know, a real takeaway for 2011, you know, is that the defining moment? I'm going to be a fireman. Is it before that? Does it not come till after that? When, when do you actually figure out that, hey, this is my thing. I'm going to be a firefighter. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think, uh, you know, I've also often told people that the 2011 fire was kind of what got me. But I think it was kind of on a, a course for that, even as a junior, the years leading up to, even as a junior, I remember walking in and you'd just be like, oh, you know, like, I hope something crazy happens. And it's so awful now to, to be like, oh, God, hopefully we don't get any more calls today or, you know, it's definitely has its busy times now and you start to appreciate a lot more working there now some of that stuff but back then it was just like you know something had to have been able to happen like even if it was like an alarm call and they let all the juniors go or something right like you just always had those awful weird thoughts in your head of like you know something had to happen and where they'd need our help yeah I think that was finally the time where it was just like maybe it was me wishing way too hard for to finally get a chance but yeah, no, you know, it is an awful thing that happened. But at the same time, uh, it was definitely something that was a defining moment for me and in, in my career. And fire was a thing that I'll never forget. Um, learned a lot of crazy life lessons there. And I think afterwards, working through the summer was awesome. And but I think we're probably like I said before, the real moment where I knew this was something that I needed to do was when I went back to school. And I I totally, you know, as a kid feeling such a big void and just feeling like something's missing out of your everyday routine was huge. It was you go to school every day and you wish that you could go somewhere else. And I know lots of kids experience that probably. But Like for me, it wasn't just, oh, I don't want to be in school. It was, I want to be making a difference and I want to be somewhere that I can be making a difference every day. And that was kind of the driving factor. And and from there, I just kind of went out and looked at every different possible path that I could take to try and be at the fire department as much as possible.
0: Of course, after the fire, I could see that, right? I could see that you're, I think before it was... 50% 50% I wanted to be on the fire department and 50% you wanted to be on the fire department and my side of it quickly went from 50 to I'm out of the picture and whatever you want going to be the you know for me just link it back to hockey I think when you went to junior camp and they wanted you to come back and play some junior a hockey and and you're just like hey you know what I don't really want to do that I'm on the junior fire department I got a good hockey team at home and you know there's your realization you're not going to make it to the to the show and to stay home and do this other stuff would be good and if you would have went you would have missed so much of what came next right you got to be a rap student for a few years in the summertime we'd move you to the fire smart student role so you'd get to work with just the fire smart crew guys patrick McConnell's is your boss and you'd get to run the tractor and the mulcher and the chainsaws and the so talk a little bit about fire smart and what you learned there over the years yeah, I think that was a really fun job. You know, I, I
1: enjoyed and I think a lot of students that I've seen that have come through since have really enjoyed those positions. For a young person, you get to learn so much on the mechanic side. You get to fix things or in my case, rip things apart. Right. But even just like learning the lingo, learning how to use tools properly. Right. I'm going to say this because I was someone who never really liked school. I learned a lot of really valuable life lessons just being in those two different areas and those two different jobs and it's things that I'll keep with me for forever, right? So yeah, right from, you know, learning how to use tools properly, learning all the ins and outs of, of being a mechanic and some of that stuff is really, really cool. Um, and then you go to the FireSmart program and my first year I was a 16 year old kid and they're like, yeah, here you go. There's a tractor, you get to drive around and cut grass. And it's like, it's not your average tractor, right? This is a massive tractor and you get to drive around and cut grass. And then they give you a bobcat with a mulcher that basically destroys everything on the front of it. And that's obviously super cool, right? And yeah, it's just a good time. Again, super valuable to be able to learn how to run um, somewhat heavy equipment at, at 16 years old, right? And I think we've seen that with a lot of the students that have come through since me as well. well so. I, I mean,
0: even before you, right? The you, you talk about Andrew before, who's in Red Deer now. Then you, you get in there. We've had Logan, Zoe, Tim, crews now. There's just so many and so many dedicated, interested people, right? It's not just about the mechanic side. It's about the fire side. It's about fire smart. It's about the whole process of moving it forward. And like, it's just 100% success stories with all the students that came through. So, For me, anyone out there that can try and figure that program out, just do it because there's no bad that comes from it. Like there's not, I can't think of any bad students we had in the junior program, in the student program, rap program, fire smart program, all the way through. It just helped build character and help move all those processes forward. Like you said, in Slave, it was ultra cool because you got to ride the tractor and out of the mulcher, and I mean, anyone sits in a bobcat and rips trees apart with a mulcher is going to be stuck on that for yeah. forever, right? Like, that's better than any video game out there. And you got to work for just the beauty of a guy, so Patrick McConnell, right? So, let's just talk about Patrick for a second. You, you know, he's one of my favorite dudes in the fire service, left us a few years ago, and he's out in Kelowna now. But what was it like working for Patrick?
1: You know, I think my biggest thing with Patrick, funny enough, he started, I think, in January 2012 or very late 2011 after everything kind of got figured out with the FireSmart crew. And I started not not very far after. Back in the early days of the FireSmart crew, that that crew's definitely morphed a lot into what it is today. But back then, they weren't always around, right? They started out very much like vegetation management and and things like that. And we didn't see a whole bunch of each other for the first little while, right? Like I was kind of the guy that was the dweeby little kid behind Ron when, when he came and dropped off his stuff. And uh, I guess kind of just looked for my opportunities to get to know him more. And I I knew he was a guy that I was going to have to put out for and impress to get a spot on that crew if one ever uh, became available. And so, yeah, I just kept working with them and kept trying. And and then we went through and and went to the the FireSmart crew things open. And that was kind of one of the first, I guess, I was one of the first students that did the transition back and forth and we were like, well, do we give them the summer off or and hire someone else? Or do we, right? And there was kind of some of those back and forth uh, conversations and put my name in and I was, I was super lucky and got it and, and uh, got to go and work for them. And I think from day one with Patrick, one of the things that I will always be most grateful for is he's a very intense person. He knows how to shut it on and off somewhat. Uh, I won't give him too much credit but he is an intense person. He expects perfection out of everyone around him. And he's somebody who will not stop until he can also provide that exact same level, right? So he never stops. He always is pushing for him and his team to be the best that they can be. And that was kind of, even from this 16 year old kid who was just there to cut their grass for them. It was very, very apparent from the very start, you know, got to run some calls with him. Once I got on the fire side and actually got a pager and got to start going on some calls and got to do some during the day with him. And I very much, think in my career today I still use a lot of those qualities for myself that I picked up on from him and whether it's uh he's probably one of the ones that taught me it doesn't matter if you're going to a small car wreck and need to sweep up some of the damage or clean up a little leak or you're going in to grab somebody out of a fire like those jobs are the same right uh People call us for a reason and you should expect your team to be the best they can be and kind of always held that that close. And I expect the same out of myself and and the team that I work
0: with every day now as well. For me, I loved it. You're in as a summer student and then later on got hired on with these guys. You're moving through this FireSmart program. So it's got this intense young leader who's like dialed in, I feel like him and I were aligned perfectly on on the dream and what we were trying to get done. And you're getting to work with just a huge variety of different people, all, all kinds of different people from all different walks of life. Some new firefighters, some been around their whole life like you, Patrick is a good example of that. To me, you know, when you're trying to get somebody for your son to be role modeling behind, this was the perfect guy. You both grew up fire, you both knew that, you know, something that you wanted to do in the future And so later on when a job opened up and you were interested, it kind of was surprising, right? So just to paint the picture for everybody listening, that you know, it's November of your last year of high school. So you're you're not even done yet. January twenty eighth is gonna be your last day because you're gonna finish a whole semester early job comes up you say hey i want to apply for this job and we're talking about it and i'm like hey you know like once you start working that's it right and i'm kind of like the jilted old man in this in this story because i'm like maybe do you want to travel do you want to go to university do you want to and you're like no i just want to get this job and get cracking and and so you're still in midget hockey you know you're still in high school you're still in and so we're like, whatever, right? So you compete and com- apply and, and compete against all these guys for this job and, and you get it. And Patrick comes to me and says, hey, I, you know, I want this guy. He's been around here for years. He's grown up fire. He, he knows all about it. I was very, very conflicted, right? It's one, to have your kid in the fire hall with you. Two, you're just going to be 18 in the spring. Like you're only 17. You're not even going to be 18 yet. And you're not even done high school. But whatever, so we decided to let you do the job. And so here you are, 17 years old. Uh, you got it, you can only work part-time till April when you turn 18, but then you're gonna be on this crew and you're gonna be doing this thing. So where all your buddies are partying and finishing up high school and thinking about taking a gap year or whatever, here you are dialed in, gonna just rock this job for the rest of life. And so just think back on that. So now it's been, whatever it is, eight years, good decision, bad decision, how to work out.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it was definitely crazy times. It put as soon as there was a chance, you know, I applied and I was like, I, ah, you know, like, I don't even know if I'm going to get it, but I'm going to shoot for the stars here. And as soon as there was a chance that I might get it, I was like, oh my God, I actually, right, the plan was always to graduate a semester early. Did I really care if I graduate a semester early? Not really, right? I was kind of lollygagging in classes and all of a sudden it was like hammer time. I was doing homework every night actually, right, because that's all I wanted was was to be able to prove that I could get through this and, and get done. And so, yeah, I, once I got the job, I started, I think. November 28th or November 27th was my official first day. I didn't finish school until ends of January it was the end of the first semester. So once I finished the end of the first semester was when I really started getting more hours and, and getting, but again, I was still, I got it end of November and I turned uh, 18 in April. So I was still five months away from even being 18. You know what? I honestly, now I look back on it and I wouldn't change it for the world. I, it's kind of crazy. I tell people this year in November, so next month it's going to be seven years since i since i started full-time which is crazy and i tell people that and they say how old are you and uh, i say 24 and they're like counting on their fingers they're like doesn't even make sense right but yeah i you know i think i at that 15 year old 16 year old mark i i kind of decided what path i wanted to take and I like to think of myself as a very motivated and hard-headed person from people like you and Patrick and and other other role models in life. And, you know, I just, once I decided that was the path I was going to take, I didn't want to take no for an answer. I wanted to, whether it was that or going away to fire school or doing whatever, I knew that that was the path I wanted to take. And I was going to kind of stop at nothing to try and achieve that and it happened a little bit sooner than i thought and there was a, a opportunity that presented itself but like i said if you don't shoot for the stars you're gonna never going to get there right so i went out on a whim on a job that i thought even though i knew a lot of people in the service i i was definitely didn't know if i was going to get it or not and i was i was definitely ready to accept the heartbreak of not but yeah, once it sounded like there was only a couple of people that were getting interviewed, I, I really was like, I remember coming home and being a mom. I was like, oh my God, like I got to finish school. I don't know what's going on. I All of a sudden you're hitting the books every night and trying to get through the awful math classes that I didn't care about for the first four months of the first semester. Hey, we so, all made our deals. You made yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do it any differently
0: if I could restart tomorrow, I don't think. Perfect. You know, we'll get more into this. Obviously we'll get Patrick here. We'll get you some backup. Right. But, uh, working at your dad's fire hall, you know, that couldn't have been easy. You got through. So now I don't work there. We don't work, uh, doing that together anymore. We do some consulting work together, but you're up to the fire smart lead job now, right? You're a lieutenant on the fire department, you're fire smart lead, you're running the crew that Patrick kind of turned over to you when he left so for me i look at the whole thing and you got to be proud right so from birth you're into it all the way to cutting your own path now it has nothing to do with me anymore maybe i'll be working for you someday Probably not. Don't get your numbers. <laughs> uh, we'll keep you posted. Yeah, we, we go through. And and so you look at this whole piece, right? So 24 years of of getting ready for, for stuff. And what are you getting ready for, right? It's whatever people throw at you. It's it's whatever you see as you go along. We did this Life Lake Fire. We did the Fort McMurray Fire together. We'll talk more about that another time. We're up in high level. Like we've done all these crazy things. And we can look back and, and we will. We'll look back and we'll tell these stories and, and talk about it. But really, in my mind, growing up fire, this whole idea of a podcast and telling about fire service and, and all the things that go through it. And I mean, we've left out the TV show that we, that we did and the articles we did together and the traveling you and I did together after the fire. You know, we'll do a whole podcast on just the fire stuff. But really, your whole life's been about this and to get ready for this. And so to me, it's uh, there's people out there, right? What uh, they're thinking about fire, maybe not, yes, no. Give them your piece. Is it worth it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I think. At the end of the day, if you grew up in any type of sport, it 100% has a place for you. It is very much team orientated. If you grew up in a close, tight-knit family, 100% absolutely for you. If you enjoy helping people, it's all about how you see it, I guess, at the end of the day. And everything in life is about whether you have a good attitude or a bad attitude about it. You can make the worst things in your life a lot better just by changing changing how you think of it and your attitude on it. I get to go out and I get to help people every single day. And I truly believe that. Yes, I do definitely do not save people from fires every day. I definitely do not cut people out of cars every day. But when somebody calls 911 or somebody calls the station phone and needs a, a smoke detector looked at, I'm helping someone, right? I, I signed up to be a public servant and to help those people. And I think that's the coolest part of my job. I get to go and I often think a lot about this and the current crew that we have, uh, I'm not the oldest, I'm I'm 24 and our oldest is 27 or 28 now. And I often think of the older generation when we pull up this guy who is 60 years old now from that generation of tough, we don't need anyone else, finally has a bidet that's bad enough that he has to phone 911, four kids jump out of a fire truck essentially, right, mid-20s, and and that's why I always think back to Patrick and you and, and all those role models, and I make sure that all of us hold ourselves accountable to the highest level, because already there's going to be that animosity as soon as we get there of, oh, great, I called the the recess crew to come in here and help us out, right? So you got to be professional. You got to know what you're talking about. You got to be able to do things fast and efficient and help them with whatever their problem is, right? I make sure that we hold ourselves true to that every Every single day and I, I try to push that around the fire service as much as possible right you might be going out to a car versus deer where there's no damage and she can totally drive her vehicle home and and just put your hand on her back for a minute and you know calm her down because she's having a little bit of an anxiety attack after the same as the pushing the broom on a car wreck all the way up to the most serious events that we go to which which are very serious so i think that it uh there is so many ups and downs in emergency services for me i would say the good absolutely outweigh the bad i think we're one of the most lucky emergency services in fire because we have such a tight-knit family. The family side is, is very much there. We eat together, lots of places we sleep together. We're always there together. Massive groups practicing and, and going on trucks together, right? You go in an ambulance or a police car around here. A police car has one, ambulance has two. We show up with six people. We get to go through that fight together. And there's always lots of us. Uh, that's the running joke uh, around here anyways. You call the fire department and you get 30 people and you call any other one and you get one or maybe maybe two. But right, it's, it's very much a family. And I think at the end of the day, if anyone's thinking about it, I would absolutely recommend it. And it's a career path that I'm very grateful every day. And every time that uh, I get called anywhere or have to do anything around the fire service as part of my job or, or otherwise, um, I try to do my best because I want to try and leave the job better than I found it. And I think the job was amazing when I found it. So it's really hard to find those pieces to, to make better.
0: Love it, eh? It, I mean, it's it's not a cliche. This is the greatest job, right? I don't think you'll ever find a better job. I know I won't. I've been trying, but uh, <laughs> you got, you know we got the top ones. We got them young. To me, it doesn't matter if you're two, 20, 40, or sixty. Growing up, fire is jumping in when you can jump in, right? And learning what you can learn, and making sure the other people around you are moving. It's it's what it's all about for us.
1: I often, you know, I I think of people. I go to the, the office or uptown or whatever, and. I couldn't imagine putting on a regular pair of pants every morning and and going to a, to an office job or a, you know, I, I
0: I look at the teachers and the nurses, like, you know, those are the heroes to me, right? You got to slug through what you're doing there. You know, for us, it's, it's like getting to go to the playground and, and play all day. And, you know, people give us a hard time for that. It's always, oh yeah, the firefighters, they don't do any real work. I mean, we know, anyone that's a firefighter knows that the toll you pay to do this job is incredible as much as any other job out there but at the end of the day that toll is worth it and so growing up fire that's what this podcast is about talking about those things uh, living through it growing up because of it or with it so really i just want to thank you for coming today ryan thanks for being my kid thanks for being a fireman thanks for serving and uh, we'll keep going from there
1: yeah no awesome thanks for having me
0: Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fired today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.